Welcome to the Blue Bloods Podcast. A college game time production. Quarterback draw. He's got a running room and a first down. Watch out. He's got getaway speed. Touchdown. That game on last night had me sweating. I couldn't believe it. It was college game time. A couple of blue bloods out competing. College game day Saturdays. Big time players making plays. All I really need is another weekend full of back to back games. Just me and my friends. Man, I love college. College football. I love March Madness. Man, I love college. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Bloods Podcast. B. Holmes, we are officially on episode 31. I know we used to talk about that, kind of go back and forth. Like, what episode are we on? I just went in. I included everything. Every interview, every special episode, like everything, every full episode that we've done, we have reached episode 31. And I did not mean to rhyme just now. We, We broke the threshold. We've broken the threshold. We're close to 50, remember? I think I said this like early in our... I was like, yes. 50? Most podcasts don't make it to 50 episodes. We're more than halfway there. And college well, football is under 100 days away. That Yes. And what's crazy is we're not even a year old yet. No, like, we're if not. If you really think about it, we won't be a year old until week until zero. Week zero. Um, But we had to hop in today because uh, 4th of July, Monday, was a crazy day as it pertains to recruiting. So I want to talk about some of the, uh, some of the, the, not just 4th of July, but really the whole weekend was a crazy weekend. And we're going to hit a couple of those highlights. Then I want to get into this conference realignment. Like what is (laughs) happening to college football? Oh my goodness. I'm sure if you're listening, you're aware by now of the viral clip that's going around all social media outlets of the Texas A&M recruiter talking to some potential A&M recruits, pointing to the suite, saying a lot of money up there, a lot of booster money up there if you decide to come play at A&M. I don't have the direct quote. I'm sure if you're listening, you know which video I'm talking about. So we got to revisit that, him and old Jimbo, that whole saga. But let's start with recruiting, B. Holmes. It was a crazy day on uh, the 4th. Which was shocking because the 4th of July is the 4th of July. Historically, you know, it's barbecue, ribs, celebrate freedom, fireworks, the whole People night. are on their computers and, and, yeah. and devices on 4th of July, typically. Yeah, I'm exactly. So I just, I don't know. So I know, um, well, quite a few people recruited and had some big time recruits. I think, I don't know if you want to start with. The big guy down in Miami, man, and with Cristobal or Cristobal, however you, I call him Cristobal. What they're doing down there, man, is is incredible. I think it's Cristobal. I know Cristobal. we always end up having this conversation on him too, <laughs> but I like how you, I like how you just subtly threw that one back over to me, so that I'd have to say the uh, <laughs> the dude's name, but. Who we are talking about? The number one. Some services have him as the number two offensive lineman in the country. I think he's the number one offensive tackle. He's number one offensive and the number tackle. Two or three offensive linemen in the country. Yeah. His Correct. name is Francis Mauangoi. Francis Mauangoi. Big Fran. From IMG Academy, committed to the Hurricanes. Massive catch. 
for Cristobal in this class. I mean, Miami's already been pulling in some guys. I mean, they brought in the big-time Elite 11 quarterback, uh, uh, Jay Rashida. 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 Rashida, yeah. Yeah. Him. They've got some skill guys in. I mean, look, it's kind of like what Texas is doing right now where obviously behind the momentum of Arch Manning, the Longhorns are bringing in like an insane amount of talent. But here's where I'm at with schools like Texas, schools like Miami. Yeah. Prove it on the field. Prove it on the field. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think, um, so, you know, I've, I've done some research on that. So John Ruiz is kind of the big-time booster who's behind this big deal at NIL with Miami. Okay. He's, a bil- he's a billionaire, former lawyer, turned into something else. He's a part owner of the new um, MLS team with David Beckham okay. down in Miami. Um, okay. And he he's a Miami alum. And I remember reading about him a couple months ago. And he just kind of put this collective together where he was just, which we've said in prior episodes, like, why not go to Miami? I mean, it's one of the top 10 cities in the country. The historical factor of Miami build a gate around South Florida. I mean, why not? And now with this NIL deal, and this is where it's interesting with recruiting. I think we're still going to, it's going to take us about three to four years to kind of see how NIL continuously plays an impact because this is what people don't talk about with this. And this isn't an NIL talk. I'm just saying with recruiting. This is what mm-hmm. people don't think about, Trey, is these guys, these boosters want to return on their investment. Yes. This 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 isn't like free money out there. So a billionaire or not, it's I'm paying you to come perform. And I'm interested to see what happens when these guys in Miami and Texas, which have been historically Texas, especially bring in talent and don't develop them, what's right. going to start happening with these boosters when they're shelling out millions of dollars every year but the product on the field isn't worth the million dollar investment well i'm sure the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to replace the coach right because if i'm investing money in the players i gotta i gotta blame somebody right so i didn't invest my money in the wrong players no no it couldn't be that it's got to be this guy coaching (laughs) them so let's get him out of there i also wonder what strings might be attached in this unregulated sort of era that we're in where once that player goes on to get that first round draft money, Mm -hmm. is there going to be an expectation on the back end for some sort Mm. of kickback from some of these NIL? That's where when, when we start talking about regulations, I want to make this clear. It's about protecting the athletes. It's not yeah. about protecting the universities and the right. coaches and the the NIL guys with money. It's about right. protecting the athletes from getting taken advantage of or from getting themselves in a situation where later on down the line, there's these strings that are attached to their future money that they could right. make in the league. So I don't know how that's going to work. I do know they need to get some regulations. But getting back to Miami, the booster you were just referencing – there was a rumor, it was in the last couple of weeks, that that quarterback they brought in, now he denied it on Twitter, yeah. so of course it can't be true, but allegedly <laughs> he, I think, got, was it six mil or something crazy? Yeah, so something crazy about, but here's the thing, he, well, he's, so this is what, you know, this is all talking heads. Supposedly, sure. though, he did take a lesser deal going to Miami, which... I don't believe, but here's the thing, going gotcha. back to this whole deal with him is this booster, Ruiz, he actually already has gotten tapped by the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Um, like the NCAA has already kind of set their sights on him of, hey, kind of what's going on here. 
So that's why I'm also interested to see like what these collectives are going to start going about it in this way. Because you know the NCAA, they we we said this when it's they did a bad job just with no regulations and letting <laughs> yeah. this go. Which that's the NCAA, and it's in a whole di- different nutshell. But I'm, I'm interested to see like how they're going to try to put some parameters on this now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the kid supposedly yeah he he walked away with six 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 mil which. Here's my thing. If you're the starting quarterback in University of Miami, you should be making a couple million dollars a year. There's a few programs. Miami, Bama, Michigan, USC, Notre Dame, um, Georgia. You might have a couple more in there, but I'm like, those guys, if you're a starting quarterback at those programs, you're minimum. The ones bringing in billions of dollars. You should at least be making a million dollars a year playing the quarterback position. Yeah. If you're the face of a program that's bringing in a billion dollars. You know, when yeah. you put it in that perspective, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's peanuts compared to what they're actually bringing in. So I'm Correct. with you on that. What do you think specifically this Francis Maui and Goey? Yeah. I said it right the first time. I don't <laughs> know if I said Goey. it right the second Mount time. Goey. You bring him in now. What does that do? Does that solidify this 23 class for Cristobal? I think so. Here's the thing, though. Here's my caveat with this. These guys still have to hold on to these cats. The football season hasn't even, which is historical. We know we're recruiting. Kids, flip. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know with the NIO age is you sign because there's been a deposit put in your bank. Now, that that might be something else. I don't know. I think we always say this, like, because right now I don't even know if Bama has a top 10 class. So it's like, I'm all about seeing how people finish at the end of the, at the end right. of the, uh, at the end of the year. Like he's doing great now. Notre Dame's doing great now, but we'll, I want to see what happens when this is all said and done. Now, if he keeps this class, I think this solidifies what everybody thinks he can do at Miami. At least in recruiting. Exactly. And, and we've talked about that. I mean, we did a whole episode on shifting the landscape and this was before the conference realignment stuff started breaking, which we'll get to that in a second, but talking about Miami and reclaiming South Florida, Cristobal doing his thing with recruiting, but not just recruiting, but being able to develop his recruits. And we talked about to his credit when he was at Oregon, he had back to back to back years with a top 10 pick in the NFL Three. draft. So three years in a row, and that's from the quarterback to the O-line to the Mm D-line. And he was an O-lineman himself, so I think if I'm the top-rated offensive tackle in the country and I'm already playing my high school ball in the state of Florida, right? I know I can go get as much NIL money as I probably want. Right? Why not go to Miami? Why not go play for this guy who seems to be building something special and really bringing the U back. Well, you mentioned Notre Dame. I'm going to get to them in a second. The only other team I really want to talk about from the sort of 4th of July recruiting fireworks is LSU. So it's they've been kind of quiet mm-hmm. since Brian Kelly came to town, other than his viral moments of the whole situation. <laughs> the of him. In, yeah, the fake <laughs> accent, the dancing with the recruits, dancing with the recruit, and then losing the recruit to another, yep. to another school. But they have been on a roll over the weekend, they signed five total players. Four of them were four-star defensive linemen. I think one of them's technically listed as an edge rusher, but four four-star defensive linemen slash edge rushers over the weekend, and three guys 
on the 4th of July alone. Yeah. And I think that if LSU was going to get back to not what they were in 2019, that 2019 team was they, unreal. They, they kind of remind me of the 95 Cowboys where people say they just dominated and won despite their coaching yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they were so good. <laughs> and I was, in fact, I was talking to an LSU fan last week, late last week, and I said, what happened? Like, Coach O, I mean, how did the wheels just fall off that bad when 2019 they were untouchable? He said, just shows you how good those players were. And I thought, that's true. Okay, that's interesting. That's true. And he said he thinks Brian Kelly is going to need two or three years. But either way, Brian Kelly's in town. Uh, had a lot of success at Notre Dame. Couldn't quite yeah. ever get over that hump. But that's why he's coming to LSU because he thinks this is where he can come to win a national championship, which you can. But if you look at those teams, those LSU teams that won titles in the 2000s, won one with Nick Saban, won mm -hmm. one with Les Miles, mm -hmm. got their... Uh, and then lost to Alabama. But yeah. remember, that team seemed as if they were untouchable until they ran into the freaking brick wall of that Bama defense in the national title game. But they were 13-0 and going into that game. Those teams were built on the defensive side of the ball. I remember right. those teams having just a stout front seven yep. and then having just some flat-out playmakers on the back end, guys like yep. Patrick Peterson, guys like... Uh, honey, honey badger. badger guys like i don't know if you remember but do you remember uh, uh, he was a safety he also played baseball his name i think was chris jones hmm. i don't know that he i think he ended up going to play major league baseball and i think he was caught in the minor leagues i don't know i just remember he used to just light people up but they always had playmakers on the back end but they had just a stout front seven and it right. seems like brian kelly is saying okay this is what we're going to do, we're going to come in, we're going to rebuild the trenches, rebuild mm -hmm. that front seven to get back to being a championship contending team in Death Valley. What do you, what do you think about what they're doing? I think, and that's how it has to be done. If you look at the state of college football right now, man, it's all about edge rushers. Like if you have dominant, so I mean not to be a homer, but if you look at Michigan's success this past year, yeah. you had two first round edge rushers. I mean, Ojabo only goes in the second round because he tears his Achilles. And that right. shows how how talented he was because he still was a high second round pick with the torn Achilles. Yes. Um, like, so we had two first round guys coming off the edge and then we had a first round safety. Like I think in the name of the game with the spread offense um, and what college football is right now, no huddle, like, and I think in the pro game, it's, it's, it's exemplifying this. Oh, like absolutely. we've seen the premium on edge rushing guys. I think yes. that's what it's going to take to win um, at any, at, at this level, at a high level. My only thing with what, Brian Kelly's doing like you know I've seen him being at Notre Dame I've watched him for years I I don't think it was a Notre Dame thing I think it's a Brian Kelly thing like mm -hmm. and then I, in my personal opinion he left a really good situation at Notre Dame to a mm -hmm. tougher situation at LSU because Saban's he's he's old young he's not going anywhere anytime soon Kirby Smart I mean we're seeing what he's doing at UGA man he's Absolutely. I mean he's next one up. Um, you know, Auburn is always good or bad every other year. Like the, and then now you're adding OU, you're adding tech. Like, the, I, I you, feel like. And, and you know, I got to say this. I, I have to. But look at what Pittman's doing at Arkansas. At Arkansas, right? Correct, Arkansas. I mean, I know I'm a fan, but I mean, no, you but can't it's true. Deny, yeah, he's okay. not turning. Like, he's turning the program. So I, I don't like cool. And here's the thing. 
and this is what I'm going to say about Brian Kelly and LSU. LSU's never had a problem recruiting. Never. Mm-hmm. They've never... They have a fence around Louisiana. They have yep. a fence around the Houston area of Texas. Um, like most stout kids out of out of H Town are normally going to LSU if they go to the SEC. Mm-hmm. So they've never had a recruiting problem. It's and I wouldn't even say they have a developmental problem because they send dudes to the league every year. I mean, LSU is known. Like if you want to go to it's you're playing in the hardest conference in the country. And I'm saying this as a Big Ten homer. Nick Saban has ran college football for two decades. Kirby mm-hmm. Smart looks like he's ready to run college football for the next decade. You got <laughs> Arkansas. You got Florida, which has had a couple off years. But mm-hmm. think about those early 2000s, mid-2000s, good teams. Auburn will surprise you every now and then. Now you're Kiffin. adding OU to them. Kiffin, Ole Miss, now you're adding OU. Now you're adding te- – I mean, it's – I think, Brian, it's, it's, not a co- it's not a coach thing. It's just you're in the hardest conference in college football – with the greatest coach ever to coach college football, Nick Saban, in the last two years. And Kirby mm-hmm. Smart looks like he's on his tail right now. So it'll be interesting to see what Kelly does. I just – I think he has two huge hurdles alone in LSU – I mean, in uh, in Georgia and Bama, not Bama. to mention everybody else he's about to face, man. So in my opinion, he should have stayed at Notre Dame. Here's the irony of this whole – Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame to go to LSU because he doesn't believe he's – he doesn't believe you can recruit to the level you need to yep. recruit at at Notre Dame like you can at a place like LSU. So hmm. he goes to LSU, and I'm not – it's not that he's recruiting bad, mm-hmm. but to your point, he's not doing anything over and above what is typical LSU. If anything, you could say right now they're kind of under under what their Mm -hmm. standard is. Then you go back to Notre Dame, insert Marcus Freeman, and he's doing exactly what Brian Kelly said was not possible at Notre Dame as it pertains to recruiting. And that's Mm -hmm. the next team I want to get into because just in the last week, They've signed a five-star edge rusher. I'm looking at it right now. They've signed a five-star edge rusher or, or, you know, got a five-star edge rusher, four-star offensive tackle, like a highly rated four-star offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. It looks like he's the fifth-ranked O-lineman in the country. They, and this is just in the last week, 4th of July, they got uh, one of the top corners in the country. Another top D-lineman in the country. I mean, they had a heck of a week. I'm sitting here looking at this. Another four-star, highly rated four-star corner. They're recruiting high, man. Highly rated four-star receiver. And don't forget they got their 2024 QB coming in and CJ Carr out of Salem. So they're already working on next year's class. Well, and I'm not so sure they don't snag. Is it Dante Moore? Dante Moore. I think he's going to go to Oregon personally from what I'm hearing. Ah, I'm hearing he's probably – now, not to – Cut you off on this. Nope, nope. Go. But with the new conference alignment, I said this actually probably helps Michigan because you know he's a he's been a heavy Michigan lean for the longest. He's a sure. Detroit kid. He's been we offered him in seventh grade. I think with USC and UCLA now coming to the Big Ten automatically in twenty twenty four might change his perspective on the Pac twelve is disseminating, and I might as well come because you know let's talk about. High level kids want to go to high level conferences and high level programs. So yeah, but they might still go after Dante. I'm not sure. I know they're. I mean, and that was the talk though because Dante and CJ know each other. CJ's up in Saline. Dante's in Detroit. Well, 
CJ's technically in Ann Arbor, which isn't too, Saline's not too far from Ann Arbor. And they didn't want to go to the same school mm. because quiet is kept from what I'm hearing in that circle in the Michigan area. CJ is good. He's not Dante good. Mm. He's, I think a lot of his, this is just what I'm hearing. I haven't seen the kid play. A lot of CJ's allure is the fact that he's Lloyd Carr's grandson. Uh, well, he's good, but he's you know pro- some somebody said if he wasn't if he didn't have the pedigree of being somebody's grandson, would he be as highly touted as he is? Can you think know. of another quarterback that we might could have that same conversation about in the twenty three recruiting class? If they didn't have the last name they have, would we be esteeming them in as high as regard? As oh, we are? yeah, that's <laughs> been some talk, you know, because he didn't do the camp circuit, and he. Let's let me just say something on yeah. him for a second. I know we're kind of all over with Arch Manning. If in case you're not following along at home, we're talking about Arch Manning. If you look at his high school stats. And I, and I didn't just come up with this on my own. I, I Someone pointed this out mm-hmm. somewhere that I saw. His freshman year, his stats were unbelievable. And then if you look each year, it's like they've either leveled out or gotten worse. And then this past season which mind you they're not exactly playing against the top competition in the state of Louisiana. Either. No, no, no. I mean, this is like close. a low level private school. And that's one of the things that's starting to semi go viral for with non-Texas fans is if you actually watch his highlight clips, look at the guys he's Look at the kids against. he's playing against. <laughs> so his stats have sort of worsened each season and People are starting to wonder if maybe because of who he is, his last name, yeah, because of having such a big splash freshman year, did national pundits hype him up so much based off of that that everything else since then has just kind of gotten ignored and it's like, oh, it's Arch Manning. He's a 100 overall rated recruit. He's mm. untouchable. He's unbelievable. He's unstoppable. I've gone on record and said... When he recruited to Texas, this adds another layer to the fold, getting back to the development piece. But I thought, that's MJ in 45. If Arch is the MJ of this class, him committing to Texas is wearing number 45. Georgia, Bama, Ole Miss, Clemson, any of those I would have looked at as MJ in 23. Him going to Texas, that's 45. I've talked about that enough. But Mm. anyways, you just kind of triggered my brain when you were talking about last names and pedigree Mm. and – I'm curious mm. to see, though, because Texas is raking it in. Since oh, yeah. he's committed, they've brought in tons of talent. I think they're sitting at number three. But, guys, 18 and 19, they had a top three class. And Didn't in matter. 2021, it equated to five and seven. So if there's any team I want to see it on the field before I believe the hype, it's them. Man, that – yeah. Yeah. You, now that you say that, because I'm thinking about it now, like I, I I haven't heard that perspective, but I have seen the viral clip of everyone saying like he's playing JV kids, right. and I remember like his freshman year, I think he had a a four star guy going to LSU. I think the next year he had another four star kid that was going. 
I guess my question is, why would any kid want who wants to play quarterback unless you're born and raised in Texas not want to go play for Nick Saban, like, as a Bama guy or Kirby Smart or Dabo for that? It's a good perspective, bro. Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Sark's an offensive – I think he's great offensively. I just – I don't know. That's that's a hard thing for me to think why Texas. You're right. You're, I, I think you give me something different to think about when it comes to Arch Manning. But I guess we're about to find out real soon. We're going to find out. Yeah, I mean, we're going to find out. And if I swear, if I have to see him and Quinn Ewers side-by-side side with <sighs> Vince Young – and <laughs> Colt McCoy, I think I'm going to throw up. Like, let's not do that. Like, let's really, really pump the brakes. In fact, yes. I'm going to do a quick plug here. Uh, next week's episode of the Blue Bloods podcast, we're, we have a guest, Jonathan Scott, who actually played on that 05 National Championship Texas team. And he, we recorded it before this recruiting frenzy happened, but he yeah. still had some... Uh, some some things to say about the state of Texas right now and how it's different compared to when he was there. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to tune in to next week's episode with him. But the bottom line is something's going on in Austin, and we've we've both shared our two cents <laughs> on this for the last year now. But all I'll say is I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Um. Let's get back to Notre Dame real quick. Go for it. Because not only are they recruiting at this high clip, they've got the number yes. one class in the country. I mean, yep. if you look too, they're, Marcus Freeman is really capitalizing on that national brand. They've got kids coming He's from Texas, up, from Florida, from California. I mean, really the big three as it pertains. And then he's dipping into like Illinois and Pennsylvania and that little pocket yeah. where I think his, the, the top – one of the top-rated linemen is from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Scooped him up. I feel like right now all eyes are on Notre Dame. Of course. And not because of their recruiting, even though that's helping. It's because of everything that's happening with the conference realignment. So just to bring everybody up to speed, the Pac-12 is essentially It's done. done. It's decimated. And here's the ironic thing about this. I keep bringing a lot of irony in this episode. This all... Let me, let me choose carefully how I say this. I don't think <laughs> this could have been avoided. No. But what the Pac-12 had the opportunity to do was secure themselves from leaving this whole situation empty-handed. Here's what I mean. Back in January, a vote went up to expand. And it's mm-hmm. my understanding that it was either everyone needed to agree on, the, on an expansion plan, and they had multiple 12-team models. Yeah. That pretty much all of them awarded the top six conference champions an automatic bid. Hmm. Which, if you're in the Pac-12, whether you have USC or not, your conference champion will be in that top six. Right. Okay. Right. Because you're still going to be over the Mountain West, the Sun Belt, the Conference USA. Right. At least you right. would hope, right? The Pac 12 and the ACC voted no. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was a deal where it was like an official vote yes or no. 
end all be all or right. it was if we can come to an agreement on this let's move forward with let's it but if yeah. not we'll continue the conversation right so the pac-12 and acc voted no and what's crazy is they voted no i think a lot of because they had this alliance in yeah, the, the works mm -hmm. with the big 10 <laughs> so the playoff doesn't get expanded as we all know Yes. No automatic bids for the current Power nope. Five conferences. And then the Big Ten pulls the okie doke on the Pac-12 and swipes USC, UCLA, and what looked like was going to be Oregon and Washington. But now, and we need to get to this in a minute, it looks like they may be going to another conference, or at least they're being quartered by another conference. Yep. And it's just ironic that had they voted to expand the playoff and secure an automatic bid for their conference, it's not that this still wouldn't have happened. It's not that the, 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 the USC and the UCLAs wouldn't have still jumped ship for that big check. Mm -hmm. But at least when all the smoke clears, because it ain't even close to being over. Oh, no. As a conference, you can at least say, all right, I've got an automatic bid in my left hand here. I can use this to try to go bring in some other teams mm -hmm. and regardless of who I bring in, at least I know in this playoff format, I have an automatic bid. Whereas now what's seeming to take shape is the big 10 and sec are going to be holding all the cards, holding all the power. They're not going to vote to give no. a conference no. like the PAC 12. No, they no. want to get as many automatic bids for their own conference can. as possible. So anyways, I, I say that all of that to talk the long way to come back to Notre Dame. All eyes are on them because really they're in a very unique situation where what decision they make right now shifts everything. Shifts everything. everything. Shifts everything. What are your thoughts on that? <sighs> okay, because we're not fully pivoting the conference realignment yet. Because I have something to say about what you said about the Pac-12. Because I, I talked mean, we to can. somebody. Okay, so before I. I'm going to say something that's – no, let me touch on Notre Dame and then I'll switch okay. back to conference alignment because I want to answer your question because I did talk to somebody who knows something about this conference realignment. Okay. The thing about Notre Dame I think is actually very unique. Now, we've been saying this, I think, and I say we, and I'm painting with a broad brush. I'm saying college football fans across the country for years have been saying Notre Dame just needs to pick a conference. The only people who like Notre Dame being independent are Notre Dame fans. fans. That's it. Everyone else is like, you're scared, you're running, pick a conference, it's better for the conference. I think, and I believe their director or commission, whoever it is at Notre Dame, I don't know what their title is, actually came out publicly and was like, we have a decision to make. Because being independent might not be the best deal for Notre Dame anymore. Mm. Now, we know what this really means. is It's about dollars. Mm -hmm. It's it's about dollars. Notre Dame loves their independent deal with NBC. They like the revenue. I think I think they don't have a choice that they're going to have to pick. Maybe they can be independent for one or two, but it's going to cost them in the long run. And I think if they have foresight to see that, they're going to just have to make a choice. Now, I know based upon, because I did some research because I figured we'd talk about this. Based upon the COVID deal, they signed this deal with AC, the ACC. Right which I think is part of the fine print is if they do decide to join a conference, the ACC has like first rights or something. But mm. we know money talks and they can buy their way out of just about anything because there's no way in heck that Notre Dame will go to the ACC when the Big Ten and SEC are doing what they're doing. 
I think if I'm Notre Dame, because it's about dollars, and let's let's talk the people who make these decisions, they care about revenue. Yep. If there's if they really if it's about that, and let's I'm gonna take it even more step back. Notre Dame also wants to be seen as prestigious, mm-hmm. academically elite, as well as athletically elite. Mm-hmm. What conference gives you because Notre Dame sees themselves as like as close as an Ivy as possible. Mm-hmm. What other conference can give you the most money, gives you the academic prowess, and gives you the athletic prowess as well? That's seen nationally, and that's to me that's the Big Ten. Big Ten, yeah. It's the Big. T- it's the Big Ten. Geographically, it makes sense. What at this point it doesn't matter geographically with how we're moving, but the Big Ten still has the highest revenue earning. Their deal is up for restructuring. I think in like another year, so they're getting ready to start restructuring, and. Now, this is where I think Notre Dame makes his pivot. The Big Ten was already talking about a billion dollars in revenue before mm-hmm. USC and UCLA. Now with right. USC and UCLA, there's they're they're approximating one point three one point two, excuse me, let me not one point mm-hmm. two billion minimal. This is minimal revenue. Mm. So if I'm Notre Dame, the Big Ten fits, especially because where we're going with conference realignment which i think that's what they need to do it makes sense it's been something they've which i didn't know historically notre dame tried to in the 40s to join the Mm. big 10 the big 10 it's so stupid it's why this didn't work the big it was notre dame and like illinois or northwestern somebody notre dame just didn't send their representative to the meeting the big 10 got offended and said fine we don't want you so this could have been ended a long time ago Right, it's a bunch like of dudes in the forty. Simpler times, yeah, simpler times. It wasn't million dollar revenue deals. It was just like, <laughs> hey, you know, this is for academics and scholar athletes. Yes. So I think I think if I'm Notre Dame, just go to the Big Ten. I think there's some way, you know, you can rope NBC into that. Maybe NBC and Fox join together and figure out a way because NBC is not going to want to lose their money. We know that for a fact. So I think that's what it's going to come down to is what's going to happen with their NBC deal. Can NBC get in on some of this revenue money or what's their buyout? Because this is a big deal for them with Notre Dame football. Um, right. But I think if Notre Dame has to make a choice, man, they the Big Ten to me makes the most sense. Now, it wouldn't shock me if they picked the SEC, but I think the Big Ten fits their brand more than the SEC does. No doubt. And not that this even matters anymore, but it also – geographically makes more sense right but geographically means nothing now in college football so whatever you also put them in there with a couple of rivals yep usc and michigan and i think Mm -hmm. michigan state even michigan state kind of kind of sort of um so here's what i wonder if they go big 10 that certainly would solidify teams like Miami, Clemson, FSU, and maybe even like a Virginia Tech trying to get in the SEC. They're trying I would to get in somewhere. They're trying to get in somewhere. Because I felt like when this initially happened, because you know when this first was reported with USC, UCLA, head of the Big Ten, it was quickly followed up with Washington and Oregon. Oregon are are following. Yep. So then initially the knee jerk is, okay, well then that means the SEC is going to go after the Florida schools plus mm-hmm. a couple others like Clemson and Virginia Tech. 
and you're just going to have two super conferences that if that happens, here's how I've resolved in my mind as a fan. Is it going to destroy college football? Probably. But to maintain fan interest at this point, just run it like the NFL playoffs, right? Where you've got two super conferences, you get the top six from each super conference, have a wild card weekend, have a divisional mm-hmm. round, have a championship round, then have your national championship game with the winner essentially of the SEC versus the Big Ten, which if all of this shapes out that way, that would be the two best teams in all of college football anyways. So that's one option. Mm-hmm. But if Notre Dame were to join the ACC, And I know it's all going to come back to money, but does that allow the ACC to keep those Florida schools, especially Hmm. if Miami is getting ready to be on the up and up? Then you've already got Clemson, who they had a down year, but they'll be back. They'll be back. If Florida State can get their stuff together, which they've had some uh, a pretty big commit, I think on Tuesday, but. If Florida State can get it together and then sort of ride that four-headed monster of Miami, Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame to maintain Hmm. this elite status, kind of keep things balanced, and then maybe, just maybe, the Big 12 can patchwork a conference over here to to at least just try to stay relevant. Right. That's where I feel like all eyes are on Notre Dame because where <laughs> I initially thought Miami, Clemson, FSU, okay, they're they're out, they're done. Wait, 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 hold on, pump the brakes. May not not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say. Maybe everyone's waiting to see what Notre Dame does. And then to me, the that's a good perspective. The wild card is Big Twelve. How big of a check do they have to write to get a team like Notre Dame to come in and be the flagship school <coughs> of the conference? That ain't going to happen. No. So what's the only other option that could potentially legitimately play out for Notre Dame? They stay independent. Now, I like the ACC option because they would be the big dogs on the block, which dollars talk, but so does power. Uh, yeah. So does power. Um, I, I could see that. I could see them going, ah, we're going to go to ACC, stay with Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and that gives you four quote unquote blue blood programs, i.e. Clemson not really being one, but now being the juggernaut that they are. A, a um, new a new new money. A uh, new money, yeah, a new money blue blood. <laughs> and being like, hey, we if if Florida State and Miami return, that four can go against any other conference's top four. Like I can take that four, and I'm not saying they're gonna beat them, but I'll take that four and they can play Bama, Georgia, LSU, and whoever your fourth best team's gonna be. They can play Michigan, Ohio State, UCLA, I mean USC and U- Penn State or whoever your fourth will be at like. Cause that's well, what's gonna happen when these conferences. There's always a top four. Right. Well, and 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 like we've talked about in the past, hmm. the reason why if those particularly hmm. Florida State and Miami, if they come back, the reason why they'll be able to compete with Bama's and Georgia's is because they're going to have the talent. That, that's right. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to have, that means they will have kept the talent in state. Hmm. that's going to Bama and Georgia. That's a good perspective. So, okay. So we've, so, so that's a scenario. I like that. Notre Dame goes to the ACC. I actually like that. Well, and then, yeah. So then the SEC, you still have Bama, uh, Georgia, Texas, OU coming in. Right. Right. 
I'm just I'm just using them because they're blue bloods. I don't right. actually think they're gonna be who they once uh, were. Uh huh. Who they think they're gonna be in the yeah. SEC? <laughs> yeah. But for name recognition, brand mm-hmm. recognition, money, mm-hmm. dollars, all that, you've got them. ACC would be Miami, Florida State, Notre Dame, Clemson, Big Ten. You've got Michigan, Ohio State, USC. And you got um, Penn State there. Penn State. I mean, you can you can you can piecemeal whoever your fourth best team's gonna be. That's right. Now that leaves the Big 12, who right mm. now the Big 12 is making some moves. So they're they trying to slide in and essentially put the nail in the coffin on the Pac 12 while also keeping themselves alive. Mm-hmm. The latest reports are that they're trying to bring in. Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon, Utah, and Washington, I believe. Oh, and Colorado. I'm sorry. It's six teams. Got so you. it's Arizona, Arizona State, um, uh, Utah, and Colorado were the four. And then it was reported that, no, it's actually six. They're also trying to bring in Oregon and Washington. Hmm. So if they could swing that, let me lay out a potential Big 12 for you. And I want to know how do you think this measures up with what we just discussed, the yeah. scenario we just discussed. So basically, you'd have three divisions in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And if you played a championship game, you just have to take the top two overall. But mm-hmm. you'd group it in the Big 12 West, which would be Arizona, Arizona State, BYU, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad cohort. It's not a bad, yeah, it's not. It's not elite. It's not elite, mm-hmm. but it's not bad. Big 12 East. Cincy, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia, UCF. Hmm. Again, not elite, but it's not bad. It's decent. Big 12 Southwest. Baylor, Colorado, Houston, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU. Hmm. Again, not elite, but it's not bad. So so that in and of itself, does it maintain the power conference prestige? Big 12, if they do that, the Big 12 essentially just becomes like a mixture of the American Conference and the Pac-12. Like it, it, it gives me the it becomes the new Pac twelve, essentially. Like how we view the Pac twelve now is if that turns into that, it's just how we the the Big Twelve just replaces the Pac twelve and how we view it. Um which I think with that type of teams, that type of pedigree, so it's not elite, like you said, but it's good. Every now and then they'll give you a really good team. Um yeah, I think they get to keep their power reference per se. But, you know, they're the little brother on the block. But I think that's good enough where – because, okay, if you look back at it, like you said, so to me those final three that you named are the biggest ones. If they can lock in Oregon, if they can lock in Utah, and if they can lock in UW, mm-hmm. I think better than Arizona, Arizona State, and whomever. If you can just get those three, I like the Big 12. They actually don't have to add those six. If they add those three, I think mm-hmm. that's enough. Because you said some teams that I completely forgot about. TCU, we can see with Sonny Dykes. And we got to remember, the TCU in the early 2000s with Andy Dalton and those guys, good, went to the Rose Bowl, like, good team. Yeah. 
Like, mm-hmm. and if Sunny Dykes can recruit high there, that's great. U of H, they've been on the up and up for some time, but it's like mm-hmm. they're arriving. Cincy, Fickle, it looks like Fickle's going to stick. Mm-hmm. I think he likes Cincinnati. I think he likes the move to the Big 12. I think he likes that there's more revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. Um, Baylor, come on, like what they're doing yeah. down there in that program. I think if you just snag those, the top three that's kind of left out of the Pac-12, well, name-wise, I think that's good enough for the Big 12 where you're like, hmm, because I don't scoff at Oregon. I don't I don't scoff at Utah. What, clearly what we just saw in the Rose Bowl this year, man, and what they did went toe-to-toe at Ohio State was amazing. Like, mm. And they play tough defense. They got a good enough offense. We know what Oregon's um, known for, and especially with the new coach they just got out of um, Georgia. Like, if he does we. We think he can do at Oregon. Trey, that's not bad. And they don't and in my opinion, if they not grab those three, they don't need Arizona and Arizona. Like, I would toss them and say, Mountain West, y'all can have them. Like, I technically the Big Twelve, in my opinion, doesn't need them. They just need to get the the remaining big three out of the Pac twelve. But I think we're also entering a time where there's gonna be something to be said for strength in numbers. Yep. True. You know? So True. if you could get an Arizona, because look, it's not this elite blue blood history, but Arizona has a good football history, and they're mm-hmm. definitely going to add value basketball, on the basketball side of things. Which is a still a revenue-generating sport. Yes. Arizona State, same type of deal. They don't have this elite, illustrious football history, but they've got some history. I mean, yeah, Jake Plummer, I remember yep. the era, Jake Plummer, and, and I mean, they had... They had a squad, just like Arizona had a squad when they had the defense with uh, uh, Teddy Bruschi. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who else was in on that team. But, I mean, they were like a top five team at one point in time. The team here that I think could really start to become more and more nationally prominent is BYU. Oh, yeah. They have, they have a history. They do. Right? Now, most of their history came as an independent <laughs> And whether you agree with it or not, they have a national championship. They do. From as a whack conference team, which is why a lot of people disagree with it. But I think BYU is a team that, that could become more and more elite uh, in this type of framework. Of course, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you've got Cincy, Central Florida. With what Malzahn's what starting Malzahn's to build, we've there. seen what they can do, at least as an as an American athletic team. I don't know, man. The more and more I look at it, the more I like it. I think the big difference, I like your com- comparison where you said it's kind of a hybrid of the American and the Pac-12, and then with this format, it'll pretty much replace how we view the Pac-12 now. The big difference is, is they're just missing a true blue blood. Well, here's what I think I want to say to this. And this is my point about the whole thing, why I actually agree with the realignment. I've really been thinking about it. My initial perspective was I hated it. But this is this is why I'm liking it. And if your boys in the Big 12 can actually make this move, mm. this is why I love it. College football has an exciting game problem. Mm. This is what I mean. Mm. And I'm stealing this from Colin Cowherd. So I got to give credit. It wasn't my original thought. I'm stealing this from him. But he made such a valiant point. He was like, opening week in college football this year has 95 football games. There's only two that we care about seeing. (laughs) He's not lying. And I forget which games they were opening weekend. But 
there was well, only it's three because it's whoever your team's playing, right, and then, right, and then the other two, and then he was yeah. like, "Week the next week, there's 115 games playing. We only care about two: Bama and Texas, and whatever the other elite game." I think Georgia, Miami might be Georgia, playing. yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think if the Big Twelve can pull that off, they now give us what we really care about in college football terms. Because think about this: like, we care about what time our team plays. So for me, this is Brandon Holmes. I know Michigan plays at noon. I don't care who they play. I'm going to watch. Normally, I sleep past the 3 o'clock game, which with my current work schedule is going to work. I'm like, ah, no good game rarely comes on the 3 o'clock slot. Mm-hmm. Then we care about the night game slot. Mm-hmm. So we really only look for, like you said, three games a week. With this conference realignment, and if the Big 12 can pull this off, which I agree, now there's strength in numbers, you're now giving us what we want. I would watch BYU versus Utah. I will watch Oregon versus Utah because we saw what happened this past year. Mm-hmm. I would watch. I'm trying to think who else is in that conference. If if Baylor gets good again, well, if they stay good, like what are they? Are mm-hmm. Baylor Oregon? That's a dang good game. Absolutely. Baylor Utah. That's a dang good game. If Sunny Dykes can turn TCU, TCU Baylor. That's a really good game. Oh wait, and I haven't even touched Cincinnati. Oregon versus Cincinnati. Defense versus high powered offense. Mm. I watch that. Utah versus, I'd watch that. That yeah. gives me, that gives me, some at least seven high quality games, out of a mm. what thirteen game season. So that now when I'm looking at it, the Big Twelve, if they want to stay relevant, they have to make. Because if you go to the same thing, what you said, if Notre Dame, that's what, if they go to the ACC, you split the conference, and Miami and Florida State gets good. I know I get the traditional Miami versus. Notre Dame, quote-unquote rivalry. We know that whole fiasco, the history. That's a mm-hmm. good game. Notre Dame versus Florida State. That's a dang good game. Notre Dame versus Clemson. That's a dang good game. Mm-hmm. Miami versus Clemson. That, that's, a, that's a great game. You go to the Big Ten now. Michigan, UCLA, great game. Ohio State, UCLA, amazing game. Like, I think the Big 12, if they want to, because dare I say, whatever Notre Dame does – affects the whole landscape. It does. But if the Big 12 can steal Washington, Oregon, and Utah at the the least, Mm. they now, I think, push themselves in pole position to at least have a little bit to bring to the table and say, yes, we don't have the traditional blue blood, but we have seven or eight marquee games this year that people who love the sport would actually watch. Yeah, I mean, give me a give me a BYU UCF. Let, let's 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 market this as the uh, uh, knockoff brand of Miami Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the great value, great value brand that you're still gonna eat. You're still gonna you know you're still gonna get it because it's affordable and it kind of tastes the same. Even yeah, it tastes a little different. Okay, so here's another thought on all that. With this format for the Big Twelve. They could literally fill every time slot mm-hmm. on the the Saturday agenda. Exactly. And here's what that does. Because it's funny, you as a Big Ten fan, how you just kind of laid out your watch plan mm-hmm. for Saturdays. SEC fans, it's we typically don't care about the morning slate. Right. We start gearing up for that 2.30 slate, to late slate and then into the evening. Yep. And then every single true college football fan finds themselves every Saturday 
around midnight watching whatever Pac-12 game is left on. I can't tell you how many times I've fallen asleep to Utah BYU or how many times mm-hmm. I've fallen asleep to Hawaii Arizona. <laughs> you you put the Big 12 in that slate as well? Yep. Because you can fill your morning games with the East Coast. Yep. You can fill your, your primetime or, or afternoon, evening games with the Southwest, and you can fill your West your, your late, late games with West. the West Coast. And at some point in time, you're going to get viewership just by default, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, what's going on? Oh, wait. So you mean I can watch this, 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 you know, what I feel is kind of a lame matchup over here, or I don't know, I could, I could check out to your point, Oregon Baylor. I think I want to watch that. Watch that. And I'll it's at 10 PM. Man, I might game. actually like stay up for that. Exactly. I'm pulling for the Big 12 to survive because I think it will be what's best for college football. I don't think the two super conferences holding all the cards is good for everybody at all. Um, not for that. Not not for the college football purist. It's yeah. Not. Now, like I said, I've kind of resolved in my mind the format that would satisfy me, which is okay. If that's what we're gonna do, if we're gonna put all the top teams or all the the Blue Bloods, all the elite programs in these two conferences. Okay, then let's just compete for the top six to make the mm-hmm. playoff from each conference and let's run it like the NFL playoffs. Um, okay, I'm looking at the time. We've got one other thing to talk about. We don't have to, though, this episode. It's just with the Jimbo <laughs> and, you know, the, rec- the the recruiter. I mentioned at the top of the episode, he's... Showing them the stadium. The and, clip. Yep. Yeah. The man, the, what do you say? There's a lot the of suite, money. A lot of money. Those booster suites up there. If you come play here. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say one thing on this. This is a non story. Of course. If on national signing day, Jimbo handles it. The exact opposite of how he chose to handle it. Of course. Because all he had to do when he was first asked about this $30 million NIL budget to bring in this unbelievable recruiting class, Mm -hmm. all he had to do was very calmly go, oh man, I don't typically respond to message board rumors, which let me remind everybody, this all started as a message board rumor, literally a message board that you can either sign up for for free. You can sign up for for $5 a month and any armchair quarterback can go in and type and contribute whatever they want. want. We've all been a part of them. Okay. So that's where it started. All he had to do was say, I don't typically respond to message board rumors, but I will say that at Texas A&M University, we're going to advocate for every NIL NIL opportunity for all of our student athletes within the confines in rules and regulations of the NCAA. NCAA. And if he responds to it that way, it's a non-issue. Unfortunately, what did he choose to do? He reacted <laughs> in his first interview. Then, literally, there's three things you should never do when you've been accused of something. Whether you did it or not, if you want people to believe you, there's three things you should never do. 
Right. And Jimbo did all three of them in his press conference. You should not react emotionally. You should not insult people's intelligence. And you should not point the finger at somebody else. And he did all three of those in his signing day press conference. He got emotional about it and adamantly denied it. He insulted everyone's intelligence by suggesting that the fact that A&M just all of a sudden pulls in this amazing class because of College Station and the academics and the hard work of the coaches. Look, I'm not dismissing all of that, but like, don't insult our intelligence. We know that's not why you just signed the highest rated recruiting class in the ever in history. And then don't point the finger at somebody else. And that's exactly what he did. He points it. He he implied it. It was very softly. He softly implied that everyone should go look into what Nick Saban is doing. He didn't say right. his name or anything like that initially. It wasn't until Nick Saban, about addressed a month him. ago, yep. addressed him by name. Then that's when he came out. Oh, he thinks he's God. I'll tell you what. You go look at what he's doing, yada, yada, yada. So the three things you should never do, right? I mean, think about it, B. Holmes. Think about a pastor gets accused of having an affair on their wife. <laughs> if they go up on stage that next Sunday, I can't believe y'all will believe this rumor about me. Could you believe I would actually do something like that? Oh, I mean, come on. And you think if I was going to cheat, I would cheat with someone like that? And everybody in the conference, congregation is thinking, well, I mean, she does look better than your actual wife. <laughs> yeah, probably. And right. the way, fact that he's getting so wound up. Well, 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 y'all need to be looking at what some of these elders are doing on the weekends instead right. of looking at me. Now, right. now everyone's going, okay, this guy probably did whatever he's being accused of doing. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I agree wholeheartedly with you because now coaches are being public about it. Ryan Day at Ohio State openly came out and said, Ohio State, we need about a, thir- I think he said $13 million budget to, to compete with NIL. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh's been open about it. You know, he's like, we're not going to do a pay-for-play deal, but we do have collectives in place to ensure that, you know, which has been Michigan's whole recruiting pitch is we're not against it, but everything you can get at all these other schools, we're just not going to give it to you up front, but you can earn it here at the university. Mm-hmm. I mean, every coach has been addressing it. It's it's happening. It's a thing that we're adjusting to. Um, you know, we're not really allowed to comment about much of it because the school can't set it up. I believe that's the NCAA rule. Like mm-hmm. the school can't create, um, they can't be the negotiator between the deals. So it's simple. I think it's just dumb. I think Jimbo should have just shut up about it. I think, um, I feel bad for this guy, whoever leaked the video because he's definitely probably about to get fired. Um, Was it a recruit? I think it might have been a recruiter or a recruit's family okay. or something like, okay. you know, which is, listen, I come from the old old days when you were getting recruited with stuff, man. It'd be like, yo, no pictures, no phones. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. but that's that's part of the era they're in now. Um, I just feel, I feel more bad about the guy, the coach. He mm. did what gotcha. he was, you know, he did what every coach in America is doing right now, especially at big time programs, you know. No one's not telling these kids how much money you can make because that's what these kids are all about now. You know, they're they're about mm-hmm. that. I, so I feel bad for him that a conversation that was private, per se, and is part of their recruiting pitch, which we know it is, which is part of every coach's recruiting pitch right now. I don't care what anyone's saying. Even at Michigan, NIL is being talked about because that's what these kids want to hear about. Mm-hmm. It just sucks that it got exposed, and now this dude's probably losing his job because Jimbo now looks dumb and – you know, somebody has to pay the price for it. And it definitely ain't going to be Jimbo. Well, and here's what's crazy. You could easily justify what the 
coach said, mm-hmm. right? You could easily just spin it to mean, oh, he was just referring to all the A&M boosters. They sit in those suites and they give so much back to, to the, the A&M end. football program so that if you choose to come play here, you benefit from the money that they donate. Right. That's an easy explanation. The problem is, is that that is no one's thought. first no reaction one. or thought. And because we are in a society now where perception is everything, well, the perception that's surrounding this viral clip was created by how Jimbo reacted to a message board rumor. Right. So, yeah, to your point, poor guy's probably going to lose his job. I Definitely. hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. Because he you can will. you can spin it. I mean, he didn't do anything illegal. He didn't. Right? What he did, though, was just validated what everyone already knows, which is that Hey, we Jimbo, pay for play here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is so, no different than any other school in the SEC. Anywhere. Let's just be clear. I mean, come on. And, and that's not and, just and since NIL. Yeah, right. That's like, not just since NIL. The history of college football is known for the bag, man. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. I mean, come on. Oh, man. Well, uh, man, that's it. Hey, if you're listening right now, Thank you. We're back. Uh, we're going to try and get this thing rolling from now all the way till week zero. And then week zero, we'll have our regular weekly show going. Now, it may not always be me and Brandon doing just a, a, a digest of you know current events. We do have some interviews lined up. Um, just some tremendous stories. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Vincent Valentine, the former Great Nebraska story. Cornhusker, and Super Bowl champion with the Patriots, I would highly encourage you to go listen. Next week, as I said, we've got Jonathan Scott lined up. And then the week after that, we've got another guy lined up. I'm not going to say his name because we haven't officially recorded him yet. But we we do have the session scheduled where we will interview him. So uh, we're just it's going to kind of be a, a combination of those things from now till week zero. Please subscribe. Give us a rating. Uh, I want to shout out our listeners because now on both Spotify and Apple, if you type in Blue Bloods, like we're one of we're one, we're of, one the of the first top to ones. pop up, yeah, yeah, and that's because people are listening and rating and things like that. It helps. I don't really understand algorithms and all that, but it helps. Whatever. It leave is. a comment. Leave a leave a rating. Subscribe. Download us on Spotify, Apple Pods. Leave a comment, leave a rating. All that stuff helps boost us up in the search engine, which obviously continues to help us do what we do here at Blue Bloods. That's right. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe. We'll see you next time. College. Hey. College football. Hey. I love March Madness. Hey.